I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of The Rugby Dungeon. Today, I'm interviewing Chris Horseman. And if you don't know anything about Chris, I'll tell you now. He has played professional rugby across some of the UK's biggest clubs, and he's also played for Wales. Now, Chris has had a great career by anyone's standard, but if you have to consider what Chris has been through to achieve his goals, that career becomes pretty outstanding. If you know what I'm talking about, that will come as no surprise. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, have a listen to this podcast because I think you will be absolutely amazed. Currently, Chris is with the Welsh Under-20s. This was recorded during the Welsh Under-20s World Cup. It didn't go according to plan, as we all know. But after this interview, I think you'll realise that under the tutelage of Chris and all of those around him in the Welsh Under-20 setup, they're in fantastic shape for the future. Anyway, thank you so much if you've followed us on Twitter, at The Rugby Dungeon, at Jay Beardmore. There is a Facebook group, things are going to happen in there, which are very exciting. That again is at The Rugby Dungeon. I very much suggest you sign up for that. However, I also suggest that you sign up for Field and Flower. We introduced you to Field and Flower last week. I am genuinely shocked, pleasantly so, about the positive response that we've received on Twitter and on Facebook about these guys. Field and Flower send boxes of grass-fed meat direct to your door. Chicken, lamb, in fact, I think actually, if you go on their website, it's 170 cuts of fish and meat. So you can have basically whatever you want. Everything is traceable. Everything is local to the Somerset area. It truly is absolutely delicious. Because it's grass-fed, there's a ton of advantages. For instance, more vitamin A and E, more omega-3. All these things are incredibly important for things such as injury recovery and muscle mass. Now, don't listen to me when it comes to muscle mass. I'm just mass. Listen to Phil, because he knows everything about gaining muscle mass. Just go onto their website, have a look. I had a problem on their website because everything is so delicious. In the end, I just had to say, just send me whatever you think. Their boxes start from £55 a month. If you get a subscription box, you get our discount, which is 20% off, and it truly is delicious. Go on to Field and Flower. Uh, go to checkout as usual, type in Rugby20 and receive your discount. Please do that as a matter of urgency. Okay, I think it's about time, because you've waited long enough, that we get into my interview with Chris Horseman. So I'm here in the Radisson Hotel with one of the men largely responsible 
for the development of North Wales Rugby and RGC, Mr Chris Horseman. How are you, Chris? Not too bad. Pretty busy well, being with the uh, 20s World Cup. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's good at the moment, actually. It's, uh, game's coming thick and fast, but it's fantastic, fantastic three weeks to be involved in. Are you enjoying Manchester? Haven't seen much of it. Uh, no, no, we've, we've, we've popped out. My, my partner's come up, uh, Christy, she's come up a couple of times uh, mm-hmm. on the weekends, which is great because it's, you know, it's hard being away from home, you know, even for these lads and even for us, for us coaches. It's sort of three and a half weeks away from home. But because of the because of the turnarounds of the game, you know, effectively you've got four day turnarounds between apart from the last game. It's really, really intense just yeah. in terms of preparing for a game doing the game then you know reviewing the game you know unit reviews team reviews individual reviews and then before you know it you're prepping for the next game and with training and what have you so well, I've got to say though the you know the welcome we've had you know in and around the city has been fantastic you know the players have really enjoyed it you know, when they do get a bit of spare time they're off having a bit of coffee down by the shopping centre and what have you oh it's a good place to be yes yeah, uh, well it's different because obviously like living just outside of Bristol in the countryside I'm just not not used to all this like noise of a city and stuff like that but it is it's lovely it's a lovely part of the world well just before we met up I helped myself into the island team room and <laughs> I was shocked at what a big operation this all is yeah it's huge I mean you look at now particularly with a lot of teams they don't have A teams anymore Mm. And I think in terms of what the under-20s has become in terms of the Six Nations, I mean, I, I, you know, it's my third Six Nations I've been involved in with the 20s. Mm. Just in terms of the crowds, um, the media interest, uh, you know, the standard of play. And, and a lot of these guys, they're, they're professional rugby players. You know, they'll be academy players or they'll be in the first-team squad. It's very much for us, it's creating that stepping stone for them that it's going to allow them to go from playing, you know, regional rugby, regional A-team rugby into that full-time regional environment and preparing them for, you know, effectively broadening the base of Welsh Welsh rugby, but also making sure that whenever they do step up to the full-time senior environment, i.e. the national squad, that what we do is very similar. And, yeah. you know, that it's not, it's not shock for them. So, you know, when the guys, you know, they understand what cryo is, they understand, you know, the importance of recovery, but also just in terms of the understanding of being self-driven as players, you know, there are there's a lot of support staff here. There mm-hmm. is a lot that we put on for them. But at the end of the day, these guys have got to do their homework. They've got to prepare themselves. So that's the environment we create. And, it, you know, it is a huge operation. Is there a huge difference now between the age-grade World Cup, the under-20s, and, say, what people were doing even five, six years ago? Well, I, I mean, well, crikey, it was when it was in black and white when I played uh, <laughs> under-21s uh, international rugby. It's totally different. You know, I remember my days of playing under-21s internationals. There was a lot of guys in blazers and suits and, yeah. a, and a couple of coaches and a fitness coach where now it's, t- it's a totally different environment. These guys are f- fantastic, these boys, you know, that we got in this group. But just in terms of just the whole thing, the intensity of the games, uh, the skill level, it, it's outstanding. And I think what's really pleasing is actually the opportunity to play different teams from around the world yeah. because I think you can get used to things mm-hmm. in terms of that Northern Hemisphere rugby you know if you you know don't get me wrong you know Ireland the first game was a challenge we lost by a point you know but the guys get used to playing Ireland you know Irish teams and the provinces and what have you and, and French teams and, and stuff like that for us it's brilliant for the players to be exposed to you know the other night Georgia you know we we yeah. scraped we scraped that by one point you know and that's um us, you know, we we went on our metal, but that's not a disrespect to Georgia. Georgia were outstanding. They were physical. They were drilled. They knew what they were doing, and they brought a different challenge than perhaps the boys are used to. Yeah. But now, 
tomorrow we're going to a, another end of the scale in terms of what New Zealand bring and in terms of how they prepare a game how they play for a game so the, these guys realise now that you've got to have a lot to your game Yeah. so it, it's, it's fantastic for me I think as a coach to actually challenge myself against different teams who are going to bring different problems different challenges but also for the boys to experience different things it's, it's really really good environment like yeah I mean I was talking to a couple of the lads uh, who sorry a couple of lads who were in the under 20s World Cup about four years ago now or whatever it may be and one of the things which struck me is the amount of relationships that they have formed here and they still carry on we were talking to uh, Will Addison and he said oh I know Paddy Jackson really well how on earth do you know Paddy Jackson yeah. and I, I honestly think there's quite an important I wouldn't say networking but kind of almost like a social um, a social element to it and just an experience element to it oh, it's, it's huge I think it's massively important that the players yes they're focused on their rugby and these guys are as focused as any group of young players I've seen but it's so important to broaden your horizons outside mm. the game the game now you know, I did 15 years as a professional, and don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's changed beyond all belief the, the game since I retired. But it's important that these guys give so much, and it's so intense and it's so focused that actually they do, they learn away from the game. They mm. broaden their they broaden themselves as a person. I think if you start to broaden yourself as a person, I think then you perhaps you broaden how you look at the game. Yeah, you don't want people sort of closeted in their mindset closeted in terms of what they think of things you want them to experience different things but also you want them to feel comfortable that if they're going to be international players that when they do go against the South Africans New Zealands and the Kiwis they feel comfortable in it yeah. they know it's going to be a challenge but it's not oh my goodness what's happening here this is something totally alien and like you say those friendships are really important and also getting to know those players they could be playing against some regional international you know they've got to get used to that yeah it mustn't have been a great evening when um you lost to Ireland and then they're staying in the same hotel <laughs> yeah it's one of the challenges I've got to be saying they've been brilliant the management yeah. uh, the Irish management and I think that's one thing you find about rugby wherever you go in the world you know it's blood and guts on the field and the boys are really tearing lumps into each other but you know afterwards we sit down we have a coffee then we chat with them you know we un- understand what they're going through they're doing the four day turnarounds with a, uh, with a 28 man squad they're getting the injuries the, you know the knockbacks the, the upset and it it's, it's good to be in around that and I think it's good for the boys now you've got New Zealand tomorrow what are you expecting New Zealand will bring I think when you play New Zealand you know exactly what they're going to bring you know they've got, they've got a very competent set piece they've got talented individual players they've got players that are very comfortable mm-hmm. with their core mm-hmm. skills at handling the ball they play a particular style of rugby they, they've got, got this pattern that a lot of the provinces play and, and the national side play and they're very confident in it and you know they don't. I don't know how many World Cups they've won but they've won quite a few yeah. quite, quite a few of them I think South Africa won a couple and England won a couple but you know they're always either winning or in the final and you know we're, they're you know, current world champions and yeah, we're playing against the best team I know they lost to Ireland but you know they are going to challenge us in a, in a way that perhaps we're not normally being challenged in, in other games. And, and I think, yes, it's going to be challenging, but there shouldn't be any fear. Yeah. You know, we've, we've sat as a group and we've looked at I me. Mean, and I think with rugby, as I always said to the players, it's, it's good to respect opposition. It's good to respect the guy you're against or the team you're against. But I don't think you should fear anyone. Mm. You know, these are good guys. You know, these are good players. You know, you've got to respect the opposition and, and take them seriously, but you've got to go in there thinking, well, you know, we, we deserve to be on the park with them. We have got the games just as much to stress them. I think if you focus a little bit too much on what are they going to bring, what are they going to bring, what what's the dangers of them, how, you know, how are we going to stop them, how are we going to stop them, 
you start forgetting what you're good at. Yeah. And there's a lot that these guys are good at. Well, you've just mentioned um, New Zealand there and what they'll bring. And a lot is made of the New Zealand skill sets. Do you, do you still believe, I mean, I'm just looking around, I'm looking at the complexity of the Welsh camp, I'm, I've just seen all the Irish backroom staff. Do you, do you think there is still a gap between the skills that the New Zealanders have and Ireland and yourselves and, and England? Or do you think that is starting to narrow now? I think it's, it's, it's definitely starting to narrow. Uh, I mean, I think anyone who sort of knows me, which I find hard to believe from a tight head prop and couldn't, <laughs> pa- couldn't pass win, let alone a rugby ball. You know, I'm a great believer in, you know, the, the sort of core skills, catch, pass, grip, carry, contact area, tackle technique, mm-hmm. I think. And that's what we've done, you know, the catch, pass, contact area and tackle technique as myself, Jason Strange, uh, Gary Lewis and, and Richard Hodges. We said with the national age grade teams, the 18s and the 20s, that's the basis of our game. Yeah. Because that's 80% of the game. You, you look at a game of rugby, you take away the set piece, the starter plays, the kickoffs, the lineups, what have you. The majority of the game is open play. Yeah. And it's effectively core skills. But what the best teams do is they do it in no time and no space. Lots of things under pressure, duress. And that, that, that's, that's what it is. You know, you know, as they say, excellence is the ability to do the common thing in an uncommon way. And that could be executing 3v2 when yeah. you've got no time and you've got no space. And that's what they do. And, and you can look at that. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's huge cultural things to go with that just in terms of, you know... You know, our, you know, our kids out playing with balls as much as they used to be. You know, are we doing enough multi-sports? Our, you know, this is what we try and do. You know, I've looked at different things with Garant Lewis. We we brought in a, a cricketing fielding coach. Oh, uh, what for? Catching, hand to hand to eye catching coordination. So we, you know, we looked at different sports, looked at handball, all these different things, and we, we brought in um, a coach from the Cardiff Met who, who runs the the sort of MCC there. The, feel terrible I forget his name so it sounds awful it's too many bangs on the heads but you know we got the, the the second rows and the back rows in and we did a lot of stuff you know where they they work in twos on the boundary edge you know in terms of tapping it in yeah, and drills course, like that we looked, we, we looked at that in terms of how you catch in the ball and we picked up loads of different stuff just in terms of how they catch you know their, their wrist position how they on their feet and you know we're, we're trying to get these guys to think different ways of doing the same thing and yeah. try and make it different try and make it fun but you know try and challenge them as well well one of my favourite crossover stories of coaching and <laughs> players I'm pretty sure Phil Greening went to Phil Greening the hooker went to train with Phil with, with Phil the power tailor which, which I think is just like <laughs> yeah. a great synergy yeah yeah um, with the Georgians then that you've just played I mean we've, we've spoken at length now about skills and yeah. um, you know the core of the game with the Georgians, did you notice anything uh, p- particularly impressive there? And when I say particularly impressive, I'm alluding to their ability to scrimmage on, on, on the physicality. Yeah, uh, you look at Georgian rugby, you look at the, the national side, you look at the majority of their players that play professional rugby, their forwards. Yeah, it's something yeah, like, yeah. I think it's something like 75% of them are tight-head props. It's not even tight-head and loose-head, it's tight-head. They were outstanding. I thought their set-piece in the first half, they really challenged us. But, that's what it's about yeah. these guys you know and we dealt with it in, in the second half and we, the guys managed to turn the tide and it went to a long way to winning the game but as I said to the guys afterwards and you know they're going to be a bit raw they're going to you know it's going to hurt a little bit but I said one thing I can guarantee you as a front row player for the next 15 years the only thing I can possibly guarantee is you will get another tune in 
Uh, yeah. That, 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 that's the only thing I can promise you. I can't promise you anything. I said, that is sure as eggs is eggs. That's what, you know. I said, but what you've got to do is deal with it. You know, mm. you look at someone like uh, Dan Cole. He went through a dip after the World he Cup. He really did, actually. And now look at him. Yeah. And that's why, for me, he's one of the best tight ends in the world because... Well, that's, well, that's a good point because Dan Cole didn't do particularly well against the Australians in the World Cup. Yeah. He did phenomenally well right. this weekend. Just using your propping experience, then, yeah. what would you say that the difference was? And to be fair, can you even tell the difference unless you're in the camp and analysing it? You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to say what Dan Cole and, and the England management are, are, are doing per se in terms of looking at it. But I think, I think playing in the front row, you're always going to come across someone that you find really difficult. Mm-hmm. That's just, and someone is just going to have the number on you. And it's just about understanding different ways how to deal with it. And sometimes you can watch the game as a as a supporter or just look at it and go crikey he's under the pump and then actually if you actually unpick it and you start to look at it and you look at the process of maybe how they're how they're forming the scrum how they're engaging the scrum has the second row you actually suddenly oh the second row's rid up a little bit there or there's a bit of a gap between the hooker and himself and suddenly you actually start to realise there's more moving parts yeah actually rather than just one guy having the number on his opposite number and it's just like I say it's just about understanding that and learning how to deal with it and you know the best players can do it on the park sometimes it takes them a couple of goes but that's the most important thing for front row players well, you've got to take that time apparently all of the Georgian technique originally comes from wrestling they've got a really big wrestling uh, really big wrestling culture there yeah yeah uh, so you know bearing that in mind watch out for the USA when they finally get their uh, <laughs> collegiate athletes to play rugby well, I mean, you look at that just in terms of, you know, the population base and, and now they've got that, that pro league developing there, you know, the, the, the athletic ability that they have. Mm. I, I was watching something a while back and it was talking about um, uh, guys who have been sort of in the college system as American footballers and, and stuff like that. And it, and it sort of struck me, struck me, one of the guys was being interviewed and he said, no, I'm not, I've not really played much rugby, he said, but I'm a coachable athlete. Yes, well, there's a lot of that, you know. And and, and I don't know Eddie Eddie Jones has, has made a big thing about players being coachable because, don't get me wrong, some players have God-given talents mm. that I only dream of having, and yeah. they've got that. But a lot of players you see through hard work and actually being coachable, mm. they can actually become quite good players. Well, you know, it is strange because you mentioned the coachable athlete in the US system. There are plenty of examples of say. A, a guy who's pro in baseball then going to American football and then maybe doing a stint in college basketball yeah. I just think it's phenomenal the the way that all the American athletes tend to concentrate on the athleticism first yeah. and then move around the sport it's something we, we don't really see here I mean you occasionally get a good, like, a good footballer but not a pro footballer yeah, pro I, I, th- I think one thing with particularly rugby I think Yes, the S and C side is is crucial mm-hmm. and the athletic ability, but it's all you know, for me. It's still a game of rugby, mm. and that understanding and it's almost the unquantifiables of it. it and it, it takes time. It's that understanding. I think it's like any any player, even if he's a very good rugby player, like a good young ten, he might have all all the bits and pieces, but it's just the experience. Yeah, it, it's over a period of time, and I think. You only get that through ex- experience it and, and, and stepping up at the, the next level. So in terms of what they're doing in America, that will take time. It's mm. getting that experience and actually being in a situation. Actually, I've, I've never been in this situation before as a player. Okay, now I have. Right, next time I'm in it, how do I learn from it? And, and it's like anything, when the intensity, the pace of the game, 
goes up, you know, that making those decisions becomes harder, you know, and that, that's where it takes the time. So if I was to visit one of your under-20s training sessions, what would we be most likely to see? I think the biggest thing we have uh, in this group is actually how tight the group are mm, as players. You know, we, we've made a, not play on it because that sounds like it's quite cliched, but they all come in from different clubs. Mm-hmm. They all come from different regions, different backgrounds. Uh, you know, even within a small country like Wales, you know, you'll have some guys from Ponypreeth and then you might have someone like Reen Williams from Carnarvon in North Wales. You know, culturally it could be very different. You guys from the city, you might have some exiles coming across. So we wanted them to be a tight-knit group. And, mm-hmm. and to be fair to Jason Strange, the head coach, and Rich Neal, who we brought in sports psychologist, we've not... Um, not push that on the guys we very much led them into mm-hmm. forming those bonds about what it means so I think you'd see a really tight knit group I'd also like to think if you came there you'd see coaches taking risks okay you know like I say do, trying to do something a bit different you know actually when you come into one of mine and Gary Lewis's uh, unit sessions you might be surprised to see the players there catching tennis balls and, and golf balls and, and on the rebound nets and things like that that we, we do in the start of it so we like the challenge of players you ever taken a risk which has um, backfired horribly? Well, personally or <laughs> <laughs> coaching wise coaching wise coaching wise no I, I don't think it's, I don't think anything's a risk if yeah. you learn from it I know it sounds really cliche yeah. you know I, I think I think the biggest risk I ever took as a coach was um, when uh, not risk but when started with the RGC sort of project. Do you know what? It's strange you should say that because one of my questions is, what on earth made you take on the RGC project? Because I see that as a huge risk for someone who is aspiring to be a professional coach. Huge risk. When I did my first training session uh, at Conway School on the AstroTurf with seven players, <laughs> <laughs> and I had three months before the start of the season, I did panic a little bit. Who, um, who, who were your seven players? Do you even remember? Uh, Josh Leach. Oh, that's uh, not a bad start. Uh, You're doing well there. Uh, Kelvin Davis. Good. Rodri Carlton Jones. Not so good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think Bryn was there. Yeah. I think I think Bryn was there. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the other other few names, but it, it was it's basically still the the, the core of those. Yeah. Andy Wells. Andy Wells was there. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Liam Lung. I think that was about it. Bloody hell. No, and it. The, the good thing was, you know, we had the great facilities. Uh, they were doing a great job with the the academy, sort of Mark Roberts, what he was doing, and you know Joe Lydon at the time, who was head of rugby at the WIU. Of he course, was, was yeah, because he's doing the same job now, isn't he, in the RFU or something similar? Uh, I think he's just left that role recently. Has he? Yeah, he was doing a similar role, and so I sort of I'd gone up there for sort of about four months uh, working alongside Clyde Griffiths when they had this uh, Canadian exchange program over there with the Canadian and I was doing the forwards because I I always knew I wanted to get into coaching but I felt if I left as a professional rugby player and tried to become a coach straight away I'd just be a frustrated player yeah and I wouldn't understand coaching so I spent sort of two years working for the U-Sport Trust okay Um, and sorry uh, who were they then? Youthsport Trust is a huge, is a national charitable organisation um, that basically works using sport as a re-engagement tool. So okay. I did things from I don't know if you've heard it, Sky Sports Living for Sport program. Yeah, yeah. I so I was one of the athlete mentors and, and the people that sort of devised that program, the six keys to successes and stuff like that. 
uh, Top Link, Aspire to Aspire Camps, Young Leadership Awards, mm. Coaching Young Coaches, to something as diverse as the Ramp Respect Athlete Mentor Program, working with kids in basically residential behavioural schools, using sport uh, as a vehicle. And what it taught me was you can have an idea of where you want to go, but the importance of planning, yeah, of actually saying, right, you know, we'd have this investment at the U Sport Trust and saying, right, you've got this, you know, you've got lottery funding, or you've got a lump of money, or Sky are coming in, or Sainsbury's are coming in. There's a lump of money to run this program. The idea of this program is to increase attainment in school using sport as a vehicle. Mm. Great, right? How do you actually do it? And how do you actually plan and actually coaching things and actually going through a process of looking at a plan, reviewing it, revisiting it? where things going well where things aren't going well right programs ended right what's the exit strategy that's almost like reviewing a game where's where do you go next and it was really probably the best thing i ever did in that's, terms of it's a really interesting point actually because i was talking to the guys this is a year this is years back who used to do hard knocks remember the sky yeah, 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 i, I yeah, don't yeah. know if they still do that actually. i think they still do it yeah with uh, with with scott and uh, actually i ended up playing playing the last game and <laughs> I, I threw a pass it was intercepted by Will Greenwood and he scored <laughs> thought if he never plays again his last pass was actually received by me <laughs> still um, but one of the questions I asked them was um, well what is the plan once this is finished and the cameras turn off is there any further support and I think there was for a little while but it was a shame that they didn't follow that through for you know 6 months 12 months 24 months because I don't think you know Sport is a good, good re-engagement tool provided the individuals involved in the sport end up in a club or end up in a community or some sort of support structure. Otherwise, it's kind of like, well, yeah, we did tennis for six months and that'll be that. Yeah, and I, th- I think one thing I learned about it is in terms of, we talk about exit strategies, but also making making the, the, the individuals that we work with within these programmes actually self-aware, self-sufficient. Mm. It's not, it shouldn't just, yes, it's about making them feel good, but it's, it's no point giving them something and then taking it away. You know, the whole time it's about actually using the sport. Yeah, I, for me, the sport w- was always the hook. Yeah. You're, you're doing something great, but I did something with uh, with Newport Council in, in, with, with the WIU, uh, like a, a works program where we had uh, NEETS, yeah, not an education training, yeah. like uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, where they met on a Tuesday and a Thursday, and we basically, I delivered rugby, and the rugby sessions... I would say right we're going to we're going to do defence now and we go through a rugby session and the main sort of emphasis of the, de- the defence session would be I would always come back to it would be about communication and the importance of communication and I would set up scenarios where the communication worked in a positive way and set up scenarios where the communication worked in a negative way and we do that and then in the afternoon after having some lunch we'd go in the clubhouse and then we'd do a workshop on the importance of communication in, in a job interview yeah and, and, and so it was almost like you, you saw how it worked you know I would say to one of the players you know when that guy missed a tackle, it's you know quite basic. You turn around and call him and effing Jeff in <laughs> yeah. for argument's sake. How did he respond to it? Well, negatively. Next time when I said to you, just pat him on the back and tell him you make the next one. How did he respond? More positively. I said, all right, we'll take that in terms of when you're in a job or in a situation and someone criticises you, you know, and you respond, you know. So it was getting them to understand the cause and effect of different things. Did you find quite, it? Did you find it quite frustrating? I found it incredibly rewarding. Okay. I, I'm going to and you know. I ended up going uh, through it um, to the North Pole, actually, funny enough. Not right to the middle of the North Pole, but into the North, the Arctic Circle. We took uh, one, two, three, five kids uh, from a residential school uh, in Springfield in Cannes. 
Uh, it was called the coldest classroom in the world, and we went up Valen Chambers and Dr. Ed Coates, and these kids are all got um, dyslexia and dyspraxia. Was the Dwarf Foundation? Yeah. And we went on the <laughs> camping on the ice and minus thirty degrees and what have you, and you know it was, a, it was an amazing experience. I, yeah. Is that the guy who's been to the North Pole X amount of times? Yeah. It was. It was terrible because it was like he, he was in his tent and. And honestly, he just looked so warm and comfortable. <laughs> and I, I was, I was, I was in the tent uh, with another one of the athlete mentors, uh, Dermot, who's an ex a professional heavyweight boxer. And it was honestly, have, have you seen that like scene in Zoolander when they're trying to open the computer? And yeah, yeah, it? yeah, it was like us two trying to put this tent. Up. It was like <laughs> we like frozen digits. And, and then literally, I got into the tent, and I've never been so cold in my life. I I, ne- first time I've ever hugged a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. I'd, I'd be happy to go there, but I'd have to helicopter in, helicopter out. <laughs> There's a wooden spoon thing recently when, when they went. And I think six of them, or whatever it was, uh, I yeah. think, um, who was the sevens player? Ollie. Ollie oh. Phillips, is it? Ollie Phillips, yeah. 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 I think Ollie Phillips went, a, a few others went. And then Lee Mears flew in to ref the game and then flew out, which I thought. <laughs> yeah, typical fair, Mears. Yeah, fair play. That's exactly what I'd do. So after that, I guess RGC come knocking. And yeah. what, was your, what was your initial thought when they said, right? There's no real professional rugby here. There's yeah. very li- very little structure. Lots of politics. Do you fancy coaching a team? What an opportunity! <laughs> yeah. No, g- genuinely, it was what an opportunity because you got you got a clean slate. But what there was and what there is in North Wales were, were good people, mm-hmm. a real desire for it to work, and real passion for it. And I think if you've got that, you've got the basis of everything. And I, I think the the luckiest part of it for me was uh, Damien McGrath. A skills coach. Skills coach, and probably, like I say, you know, I'm, we're very good friends. He's, he's coaching at Samoa, and I would say he is, without doubt, probably had the biggest influence on my rugby career as a player and as a coach. Mm-hmm. He's uh, an amazing individual in terms of his knowledge of the game. It's absolutely incredible. But he was brilliant for me because he he'd been around the block, and he'll admit himself, typical grumpy Yorkshireman, and he'll admit that himself. But you know, he's coached, you know. Super League, you know, International Rugby League, International Rugby Union, Sevens, Premiership, you know, he's, he's coached the whole thing. And he was great for me just in terms of learning off him. Yeah, I bet. And he was, re- he was quite harsh on me, which was good. You know, and every day he'd sit me down in the office in the morning, we get in at like seven in the morning, we go through the training session, and then we'd, 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 we'd get, review the training session, and then he would go, right, okay, let's review what you did. Really? Let- what, was the, what was the first thing which, or not the first thing, but the big thing which you got wrong in, in the early days I think the, the, the quickest thing I learned from a coach is is talk as a coach not as an ex-player okay I felt that that, that for me was important you, for me I, I wanted to go into coaching and be considered Chris Horseman as a, a really good coach not Chris Horseman the ex international prop does that make sense yeah, I, I really wanted to make it about my coaching ability and I think it's really important that, that you're respected for that mm-hmm. and I, that was really important for me and it was just it was just little things just like planning preparation just the, just the smallest little details always sticking to structure being consistent in your message you know knowing when to give as he would say knowing when to be harsh on the players knowing when not to be you know understanding individuals and just that attention to detail that was his biggest thing you know, if you're gonna, if that's what you believe in, that's what you're gonna do. Do it. Yeah. Just because something goes wrong, don't suddenly just panic. Look and actually say, are you? Have you achieved what you wanted to achieve? Are they? Have they got it as you wanted to? Are they? Are they acquiring the skill as you want it? No. Well, if they haven't, 
that's the reason. Go back to it. Stick to your guns. I Keep see. doing it. So undoubtedly, being uh, an international class player and having the international experience you have is a huge benefit. Did it ever get in the way, or did it ever, did it ever hinder you from a coaching point of view? Sorry. No, I, I, I don't think it did. I, I, like I say, I, you know, I very much see, was a, was a coach. I wasn't. I never yeah. saw saw as a player. I think you you're you're good as a coach because you're a good coach not because you were you were a good player I, I don't think the two have a massive bearing yes perhaps maybe when it comes to some specialist scrummaging coaching mm. perhaps you know having I have a bit of you know a bit more in-depth knowledge about anything yeah. but you know for me you know even coaching the scrum you know part of my role is putting like uh, coach educational uh, videos together because because be brutally honest one thing as a player like I wasn't particularly skillful or very good at rugby it sounds really, I really wasn't you know I just I was very committed I was you know quite passionate as a player and I worked hard and I was a good scrummager mm. so I always had to work really hard to achieve the, the basic sort of skill level so when I got into coaching I, I thought well, I thought well, right how would how would I teach myself this? How could I break Good, it yeah. down and think that someone someone as really useless as me could actually get this skill and understand it? And that's what I do. So with the with the coach educational vi- videos, I, I developed um, Scrum Ready with the the coach educational department. And a big thing for me was, you know, I'm passionate about about scrummaging. I think it's a huge hugely important part of our game, but. I think a lot of coaches at junior level or grassroots level are quite scared because they haven't played the position. Yeah. But for me, actually, 95% of the scrum is very much the process. I also find that a lot of new coaches coming through, especially you know, at the amateur level, they're, they're very content to stay as a backs coach or a forwards coach yeah. or, you know, and almost compartmentalise in line with what they're comfortable yeah. with. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you may not coach it, but that's one thing we we do quite well as a coaching group with the with the, the 20s and the 18s if it's a defense session we're all coaching it we never just sort of say oh it's a it's a defense session we're not going to coach it you know we, we, we're all in it together and I think it's it's really important as a coach you have an understanding of all the different facets of the game mm. because they're all interlinked there's no point in me going well I'm a scrum coach and I'm going to concentrate on my scrum and that's it and it's just a scrum because no I need to understand what does Jason want in terms from an attacking point of view? How does that link in to what we're trying to do as a game? From Richard, from from a defensive point of view, from G, from the Garant, from the lineouts. You know, how does it all link in? So it's really important to have that. And I think as a coach, not to pigeonhole yourself as a yeah, one, one trick pony. You may have a specialism, and my specialism is is, is the scrum because I, I'm really passionate about it. But I'm constantly wanting to know what the other coaches are doing and you you might just see something they're saying or doing and you think actually I like that there's something I can use that when I'm working on you know my, my scrum setup or there might be a terminology or there might just be something or when you're doing your skills practicing you think ah oh, yeah I like that you know and just just looking at what the other coaches are doing so we've, we've spoken about challenges which is accepting the RGC <laughs> job and we've spoken about plans planning the results of that brings what was your plan when you needed players because obviously you were playing at a higher level and as it happened you didn't have seven players so what was what was the next step then? Go around the clubs find the players speak to the coaches the biggest thing for me was communicating with the with the club coaches in North Wales mm-hmm. and actually spending time going out to them saying look this is what we're doing we don't want to just steal all your players you know if you've you know we want players to come and play for RGC but it was very much 
you know, I first started my training nights on a on a on a Wednesday and a Friday, not to clash with the club nights. Yeah. And and then you know tapering my workload with those players and communicating with the club coaches, saying this is what what we're doing. But then it was very much like, if the guys aren't playing for RGC, they're going to come back to you guys. And even if your players want to come and train with us, you know, you might we, there might be one or two players we've identified, but there might be another one or two, maybe not quite up to standard just yet. But yeah, you can come and train with us as coaches open door policy come in sit in our reviews sit you know ask us anything we'll come out we delivered sessions around around the clubs it was it's basically just getting out there me and Damien spent god knows how many nights driving to the clubs in North Wales doing or somewhere do, doing it all and it was lovely beautiful countryside yeah yeah well I mean it's, it's got that going for it it did strike me that when almost the RGC revolution was happening, some clubs really bought into it. I think you can see that with clubs like, like Llandudno, which almost were looking like a mini RGC. Yeah. And other clubs like Colwyn Bay, which is you know, my home club, not as keen. How did you try and bring them on side? And was there quite a lot of pushback? To be brutally honest, and the honest truth, no, I never felt anything. I felt nothing but there was the support. And, and I could understand from a, from a coach's point of view, mm. you've got someone saying... He's your best player. I really yeah. like him. I really want him to come play for RGC. But also, what we said is, our academy players, our young academy players, we want them to come and be dual permitted with you guys. Mm. So you know, we weren't just taking for taking sake. You know, we wanted to use, and, and we have done, is use the the likes of Clandidno, Colwyn Bay, Nan Conway as a place to go and put our younger players, our seventeen, our eighteen year olds, to go and play with them. Mm. You know, send them back to their home club. So there was hopefully that that buy in and. And another bit, you know, the risk we took—not the risk—but we had a lot of good seventeen-year-old, eighteen-year-old kids from the academy. Mm. You know, Harry, uh, Avon, Lewis Barker. You know, May Parry, Meredith, uh, Joe Simpson. You know, the whole team was basically eighteen-year-olds. And you know, we, me and Damien said, look, you know, if, if if we get our core skills as good as they can be, we play with pace. We play with tempo and uh, and the attacking philosophy that we wanted to to play with. We'll win the league, mm. and that's what we did. And we were confident that we didn't need to bring other people in. But also, these guys were RGC Academy players, so I think that was the most important thing. Is what's, bringing what's the point in having an RGC Academy if you don't use it? Yeah. And they were the first group to transition through, so they had a senior team. Bang, they're in it, and that's why over a short period of time, I think anyone who's been around RGC can see that it does feel like a team. They are a close, close. Group of guys. Yeah, I, I mean, in my in my mind, the two most important things that RGC have done is a develop North Wales talent. I think that's been absolutely key. But even more importantly, it was changing the opinions and the attitudes of people in the clubs. I, I distinctly remember um, sitting down with some with 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 some of the old boys who would do a wonderful job for Colwyn Bay. They'd be yeah. there week in week out. But their ultimate attitude was North Wales isn't good enough for a pro team or a semi pro team. And I think RGC has completely destroyed any kind of preconceived image and with a little bit of luck hopefully we'll see RGC as a region sooner or than later although allegedly they are already a region yeah I, th- I think what they are they they're, they are a development region mm. in, in it, you know not in its infancy they're, 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 they're doing well you know and they're, they're, there's a structures in place but it's, it's like anything you know players you can't judge if a player is good enough for something unless he's exposed to that standard of rugby so you you, you know you look at the in the three years I was there we had Harry Evans, uh, Joe Simpson, Ollie Cracknell, Adam Bagshaw play for the 20s, uh, Reen Williams, mm. Danny Cross play for the 18s, uh, Evan, the scrum half, play for the 18s. You know, we've had 
you know, Avon played some sevens rugby. We've had international players come through from RGC, yeah. you know, and a lot of talented players come I, through the ranks. So what RGC does better than anyone is producing great Welsh names. Preen, Avon, <laughs> um, just, you know, just to name a few. <laughs> Yeah, Reen. Uh, Reen, uh, um, you know, Reen Williams is, uh, you know, I've got Tom Williams as well here with the 20s as yeah. well. So, yeah, Reen Williams is, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great guy. He's, he's brilliant. And uh, I think what's really pleasing, particularly from, for the last few years, is to see how he's developed. Just not just not just on the field, but off the field as well. You know, he's, he's such a great character coming out of his shell and the confidence, you know, I remember sort of seeing him sort of first going into the, to sort of, the, I, I remember he was like 16, 17 and I just said look I want him to train with the senior team mm-hmm. he's that good he, and he was just like skinny as a piece of string and what have you but you know we put him on the training field for the first few sessions in pre-season and all the boys were like wow why <laughs> <laughs> he's unbelievable and you just see like you know he's, you know, they've done a good job with the strength and conditioning up there and you know he's filled out he's, he's, a, he's a big lad now you know he's, he's got quite a wiry frame but such a great great talented player what do you think the ultimate goal is for RGC and when do you think uh, when do you think that, that goal will will be achieved oh crikey you know that, that that's an open sort of ended question uh, you know I think everyone would love when you look at the population base up there in terms of and the potential player pool base you, you'd love to have it as a fully fledged region yeah you know you've got a huge population base along that sort of uh, A55 A corridor you know you think you know right from the border all the way sort of you know almost well into Anglesey you know you've got a huge amount of players there and it's a, it's a large area and that you know even you go all the way down south you know to Newtown and stuff like that it, it would be great if it was a fully fledged region I think, you know, I, th- I think everyone wants that I think everyone can see the benefit of that but that takes a lot of hard work takes a lot of effort you, and I think the way it's being done at the moment and the, the most pleasing thing is a lot of that group that won promotion to the premiership a lot of the guys have started Four yeah. years ago, and that's that's the pleasing thing. You know, no one can say it's been bought. I, you know, yes, they've got the facilities there, but you know, that's European funded money, and the the funding goes into the academy, the coach development. In terms of the senior team, you know, it's that's just that's just North Wales players. Yeah, uh, a couple I mean, of you know, a couple of guys who, who have come up, but that's like any team. Yeah. You know, a couple of guys, but that isn't. Yeah, it's a North Wales team that have done that, it's, and it's a very good tool for the other regions actually to develop their players away from any distractions that, that they might have down south. It sort of works both ways. Yeah, and, and that's what it's got to be. You know, it's very much got to be a two-way relationship. You can't, you can't, st- you know, you can't stand in the way of someone, for argument's sake, like Reem Williams, and say, "No, Reem, we don't want you to go." I think the way he's been managed was actually. You know, we brought him into the sort of senior environment. Then he started to play a few senior games. Then it was like, right, he's coming into the senior environment, but he's going to go down with the Cardiff Blues and train with them and what have you, and play in the A games, play with the twenties. You know, he's ready to move on. You know, and and I think that's a great thing. You know, when a player's ready to move on, they've got to move on until you get to that point where actually he doesn't need to move on. Yeah. Because you're playing at the standard that he needs to continue his development. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, everything's got to be about the betterment of Welsh rugby, and that is one is obviously producing players to play at the elite end ultimately Wales and then the the regional game and populate that with more Welsh qualified players but more importantly than that is just to make sure that there is a continual growth and a base of players playing the game well that's an interesting point it's my view that the regions should be there purely to develop Welsh talent and if Welsh talent is good enough and someone wants to come in and pay him 300k to play in France, I think we should let them go and play in France or in England because I would rather have 
five Welsh tens wearing English ten shirts, if that makes sense, so that the regions can develop even more talent again. I think the opportunity is equally as important as actual raw talent. What do you think about the regions bringing back all these superstars and potentially not freeing up those places for academy lads? Uh, no, I think I think there are a lot of places for academy. You, know, you look at our in our twenties, a lot of the guys are playing Pro Twelve rugby. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, you need a big squad. Yeah. You know, you need a bit, and I think the more uh, you know, the more the Welsh players play in Wales, I think it's better because then you know the, the standard of rugby, the regions become more competitive. I think you want your best players. I mean, you look at New Zealand. They only pick players who play in New Zealand. Yeah, but they also let a lot, an awful lot go. I mean, if the money's right, they go. And what I like is that conveyor belt is then ready for for the next lot. Yeah, and that but that takes time. Mm. You know, that takes time in terms of what we're trying to put in place in terms of you know the development pathway. You know, I think a lot of the time people, you know, as they always say, it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's that, it's that, it's yeah, that old, it's, it's old chestnut. You know, suddenly they're they're a really good team. You know. Our size is our strength as Wales. You know, we're not massive, but actually, in some ways, that that's good because we can work closely together. That's a really good point. Do you know, um, for us, when we have, you know, a squad session, or we want to do an extra, so we want to do an extra front five session with the under twenties. You know, we can make a phone call on a Friday, speak to the director of rugby, what have you, and the players can be into the Vale within most of them within 20 25 minutes 8 minutes yeah and you get that access to the players and you know part of my role is to actually go out and see the players within their region because that's a huge thing for me as a coach particularly when you're coaching a, a representative side is actually understanding what they're doing at their regions mm. and how they're being coached because you don't want to give players mixed messages you want to understand what they're doing how they're doing it you want to get that relationship with the coach you want to get that relationship with the player and because we're quite condensed it allows us to do that and I think that's going to be a big positive for us moving forward changing the subject completely now (laughs) I get into bitter friendship ending rounds over one particular subject over and over again and that is what is Gatland for now I keep on saying it is a philosophy about hard work and fitness and it's actually quite a fluid strategy there are also some people that say it's more about a structure and uh, some sort of negative connotations from a coach's point of view from someone who actually knows rather than the armchair fan like me what on earth is Gatlin Ball? I think Gatlin Ball is just something that's been done, done in the press effectively do you mm. know what I mean it, it's, it's like um, Sam Allardyce plays a long ball game do, <laughs> do, you, do, you, know, do you know what I mean sometimes yeah. it's just it's just easy for the press to, to, to put something in I, I've you know we privileged enough to see the Welsh guys train and we train alongside of the 20s and you know the work they do there and, and, and the skill level and the intensity and you know what they do there is, is outstanding you know and I, you know how, how can anyone not say that what they've done is successful yeah I it's, 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 it's been huge hugely successful you know but I, I for me personally I, I think it's just one of those press things that get that get banded about and it suddenly it, it grows its own legs if you know what I mean I'll happily take that uh, <laughs> as you agreeing with me that's absolutely <laughs> fine you never played under Gatland, but no. you did play under Jenkins and you played under um, Ruddock. Yes. Uh, what the contrast like b- between the two setups? Um, you know, with with uh, with Mike, I was only I only played underneath him for sort of I think it was only uh, autumn series, and then I was due to play in the Six Nations, but uh, I, I had an ankle injury, 
yeah, it, it was a good environment. You know, I, I got a lot of time for Mike. You know, I thought he was an excellent coach, a lovely bloke. You know, I worked with him at Worcester. Yeah, just great guy. You know, very knowledgeable coach. You know, very successful everywhere he's been. He's been very successful. Um, and Gareth, you know, Gareth, Gareth was a great environment. You know, Gareth, you know, you know, such a successful coach with with the Scarlets and uh, sorry, Lenethi and, and then the Scarlets, and then you had. The majority of my work was done with with Robin, obviously as a forward, and you know Robin's been been in post with Warren, and you know and you've seen the success they've had there. So, yeah, they 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 were really really good environments, really. You know, I just think as a as a player when you get into that international environment, everything's happened so fast and it's mm-hmm. so intense. You just you just get in and you do your job, and yeah, I, I loved it. You know, because I, I remember speaking to sort of for my first international, speaking to Alfie Gareth Thomas. We, I was on the bench against New Zealand and obviously, you know, chances are Mike said I would come on not long after sort of half time and I remember being <laughs> quite nervous, you know, going, oh my God, New Zealand first game, going to come on Millennium Stadium. And, you know, it's close to 80,000 people, you know, it's been, a, been, a, been through a lot to get to this sort of thing personally. I remember Alfie just saying to me, he said, look, mate, he said, you've got to enjoy it. Yeah. He said, you don't know when your next game of international rugby will, will be. He said, you, you play your club rugby, you play your regional rugby, European rugby, you know, it's your passion. Yes, it's your job as well, and it's there, it's day in, day out, and you do the best you can. He said, international rugby, your career could be 10 years or it could be one game. He said, just enjoy it. And I think that was the best bit of advice I ever had. I just thought, well, he's right. At the end of the day, another coach could come in and not rate me, or my form could dip for my club, or... I, a myriad of other things could happen or suddenly there could be three or four players better than me mm. that's that's not my control I can only control my my performance my, what I do so for me it was just going in there and just enjoying it you know because I sort of you know for me personally playing international rugby was always a huge huge goal of mine you know not not just for the reason that I was a professional rugby player and I wanted to be playing at the highest level I possibly could but just through my own personal experiences you know particularly you know, having cancer twice at a sort of a young age and having my career sort of curtailed where I was sort of, you know, on the brink of playing international rugby at sort of age of 20, 21, when everything couldn't be going better than suddenly to being told, like, oh, your rugby career is not just could be finished, but, you know, you, you know this could be, you know, could be a bit more serious than this. You could, uh, you know, we don't know if we could sort of treat the cancer sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. It was very much for me, it was like, I want to do this. You know, I want to do everything I can to to play international rugby you know so for me it was it was hugely important from a sort of personal perspective from my own journey you know just to actually say yeah I've done that you know I've and for me it wasn't like oh you know it's it's the end all and be all and I've got to do it I just all, the chances are I thought crikey you I remember I was there I was I was like 23 years old I just had testicular cancer then I was in remission for a year then I had lymph node cancer and I was like having chemotherapy for six odd months and then I had a, like came back playing then I had a serious neck injury I had to have spinal surgery and I was kind of like Jeez. Bath kind of said to me you know we're not going to basically renew your contract I was 23, 24 and it was just like right probably not going to get much worse than this at this point of view in my life I thought <laughs> yeah. well I know what I want to be and I, I'm relatively good at this game I'm just going to do everything I can to turn around and say, do you know what? I couldn't have done any more. Yeah. And that, that and, and that's the sort of mentality I take into my coaching. You're gonna win. You're gonna lose. It's, that's the nature of the game. You're gonna have highs. You're gonna have lows. But if you can sit back and say, do you know what? 
I did everything I possibly could. I haven't got a nagging doubt thinking to myself, mm, perhaps if I just, you know, been a bit more diligent on my planning, oh, perhaps if I just, you know, spent that little bit of time just to look at the referee and get an understanding of how he referees the scrum, if I just spent a little bit more detail, just a couple of one-on-one -on -one meetings with the players, you know, if I do all that and we win, brilliant. If we do all that and we lose, not brilliant, but at least I've given it my all. And yeah. that's very much the sort of with my playing and very much in my coaching. We just touched on the on the cancer then and then Bath not renewing renewing your contract. Mm. Is that sort of roughly where your relationship with the WRU began to stop? Well no, it was it, it's one of those strange things. It's uh, I, sort of but I had a year left on my contract and I, it, it was quite clear sort of you know at the time, you know, it, it was it was difficult, you know, you're 23, you, 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 you're playing for your hometown club, you know, I played from Bath from under 11s, you know, went through all the juniors, the under 17s, under 18s, I used to go and watch them, you know, they were my, they were my team. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were my team, you know, so, you know, for me, playing for Bath was, was everything at the time, and, you know, and I started playing for the first team, European rugby and what have you, and, I, you know, as they say, living the dream, playing, you know, doing what I used to watch. Yeah. People are, you know, you know, sitting in the same dressing room with Jeremy Gusco, I used to watch going, wow, you know, there's my hero, you know what I mean? So that was that was a hard pill to swallow, and so I sort of had a year in contract, and I had two choices. I could stay there for a year, not play any rugby, effectively, or I could say, right, what am I going to do about it? So I went on loan to Bedford, and Bedford had, had been relegated two years before. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't in a particularly great place as they are now, but it was a really good club, and I went there, and I played there for a year, and I'll be brutally honest, probably for the first four months, they thought, oh, my God, what have we bought here? <laughs> what the heck have we got here? This, this bloke can't play rugby. But I was playing week in, week out, and I just got on with it, got my preparation. And then post-Christmas that year, it started to click again and I thought yeah it's, it's going well again and I thought okay you know they might have a chance I might get what I want so it was for me it was a conversation with uh, Richard Webster who was used to be my captain at Bath who was forwards coach at Bridge, uh, Bridge End and they I said to I, I just checked on the phone and said are you Webby I said I don't suppose there's anything going at, at Bridge End he said oh no mate we've got our two tight heads we, we, we sort of spent our budget and I said oh, oh no worries if anything changes and then literally a day later he said oh one of our players has left so we need a tight head nice. so he said can you come and speak to us I said when he said well <laughs> yeah, now I, I said yes yeah. so, so I drove over from Bristol to, to Bridge End I met with Alan Lewis and Webby in the uh, in the clubhouse had a conversation with, with Webby and Alan and, and just said yeah look I'll, I'll, I'll sign so I signed for Bridge End as effectively sort of you know sort of squad player and had a really good pre-season sort of first choice as the season went on and it just it, it, it was a brilliant environment Alan was a fantastic coach Webby was a fantastic coach great bunch of boys uh, you know there was a couple of guys that I used to play with like Dino Jones was back there for yeah. first play with Bar. Mm -hmm. and that year we won the league and things were going really well and, and so we played a, a game and, and Steve Hansen sort of spoke to me after the game and said what's your sort of eligibility criteria I said well none I said I played obviously uh, age grade rugby for England and what have you but I was involved in some training squads but it was never capped at A level and he said would you like to play for Wales and I was like do you know what yeah I really do and it sounds sort of corny but it was like I'd been given an opportunity within Welsh rugby mm. 
you know, when effectively I could have had nothing, no career, nothing. I was given an opportunity and and, and it was like, I want to play international rugby. I want to be the best. And that was my vehicle. And, you know, I had conversations with them. Mike came in and it went regional. I was playing for the Warriors and obviously play European rugby a bit more high profile. I had sort of contact with the England management, but my mind was made up. You know, yeah. I wanted to play rugby for Wales because I felt very passionate about it because it had given me an opportunity. And that's why just in terms of my coaching that's why I love coaching for the WIU because yeah. I, I, you know it sounds really cheesy and corny but I, I really feel like I am a, a massive debt of gratitude whilst rugby because they, when I didn't have an opportunity when I thought potentially everything that I ever wanted was gone mm-hmm. I got it in Welsh rugby Do you ever think there's an element of English rugby not standing with you? No, not at all I think you know you, you're a young player you know and you're sort of unproven at that point you know I was playing our first team, some European rugby, putting in some reasonable performance. But at the end of the day, you know, you know they've got a huge player base. You know, ultimately, if you're not playing club rugby over there, you know, they move on, and they did pretty well in that period. Anyway, I think they won a World Cup. So, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. You know, at the time. I say that you probably the, the the most disappointing thing was what happened at Bath, but it, it, it must have been pretty hurtful at the time, though. Yeah, I think anyone would be, but it's like anything in sport, you're going to get knockbacks. Mm. It's, it's the nature of the beast, it's a professional sport. You know, at the end of the day, if you look at it from their point of view in some regards, I played a rug game rugby for two years. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's How hard was your rehab uh, coming back? Because you know, if you're not playing, well, I say rehab, just getting back into rugby shape and getting physically ready to you know, scrimmage. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, like, you know, particularly after this sort of second bout of cancer, because when I went to the went back to hospital and they said, oh, you've got, like, secondary uh, cancer in your lymph nodes. So I sort of said to the doctor, I said, oh, you know, what's the sketch? He said, you know, and I remember him saying, oh, I'm not really sure, so we're going to send you to the Marsden, the big cancer yeah. hospital there. And I remember rocking up there thinking... Oh crikey! I don't think I'm very well. Looking at the size of this place, this looks quite intimidating. And I haven't got a doctor this time. I've got a professor. Crikey! I must be ill. So it was like, you know, typical. You're young. You're 22. You think, you know, you think you're invincible. It was like, oh, you know, when I'm back playing, and they were just sort of brutally honest. They said, look, your cancer's come back. You know, we we're not sure. You know what the sketch is. You know, it's September. By Christmas, we'll have a better idea whether it's going to go one way or the other. And they were quite sort of clear on that. And that's like, okay, that puts it into a bit of stark reality. So. Yeah, I was pretty much in for six six months. I would go in on a Monday in the Marsden, have all my tests done, my scans, get my kidney and my uh, all my functions, my blood taken, and then I was just on chemo from sort of Monday afternoon till Thursday night, just constant chemotherapy. Then I'd come out, go home, sleep, be sick for the weekend, back in. Did that, like, six-week cycle of that, constant chemo. Then you'd come out, uh, blood transfusions. Then I was going in for, like, two weeks bouts of chemo. And eventually they said, oh, like, your markers are down. It seems to have, the chemo's been working. Then I went into the surgical hospital. Had a, I can't, can't remember how long the operation was. Well, of course, I can't remember how long it was. I was asleep. Yeah. But I think it was about a 12-hour operation. Uh, so it cut me right open down the middle, took off my lymph nodes. I was in intensive care for a couple of days and what have you. Good Lord. So, yeah, and it, you know, at the end, I, mem- I remember sort of being in the hospital room and I had, you know, tube in my neck and down my nose and in my arms and stuff like that and just... 75 staples down the front of me holding my wound together and I remember standing there in front of the mirror going it's going to be quite difficult yeah <laughs> it is this is going to be quite difficult you know because the chemo really sort of you must, have had, out you. you must have had a lot of doubts about coming back um no I didn't that's incredible I, I, I didn't I, 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 I'm a great I'm a, it sounds silly but I'm a great believer that 
it's amazing what you can do if you put your mind to it. Yeah, I mean, um, I actually, I actually broke, broke, uh, broke my finger against Macclesfield, and I thought I don't need this, you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't. No, so, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, it takes like a you lot say, of men- mental strength. Yeah, and I think you know the, the batter in my body took with the chemotherapy. I'm sure that perhaps maybe made me a bit more injury prone because I, you know after I came back from that, you know, I had. I think I had about 12 operations just from rugby after that. Really? Yeah, so, and I think, you know, I had to, it sounds really silly, but I had to push myself so hard to get myself into any sort of shape. You know, I, you know, I was constantly having to train really, really hard all the time, just getting, you know, so I ended up, you know, both shoulders being done, my ankle being done, my groins being done, my hand being done, you know. Is your fight with cancer something you speak about with the lab, like a motivational tool or anything that you refer back to? <sighs> Uh, no, I just, you know, I'd be surprised, you know, we're stood here. I bet if we went into that hotel, you'd be surprised how many people have got across the bed yeah. and have been through and done amazing things. You know, I, I don't see it as as amazing. What I sat, saw, I mean, I remember once I was in having my chemotherapy and I was I was at, like at my wit's end, like just literally just, I, I, you know, I couldn't, literally couldn't take it anymore. I was just like, this is too much. And I remember just saying to the nurse, take drip out. I said, I've had enough, I'm going home. Like she said, and they were like, no, you can't do that. I said, no, I'm going home, going home. So she she, she took the, the drip out and said, look, just, just go down, have a walk around and stuff like that. And I was sat there feeling really, really sorry for myself. And it, it it's like sometimes you have one of those moments in life and I went out and sat like on the front entrance of the Mars and looking at the main main entrance just sat there in my sort of tracksuit just thinking I, woe is me woe is me I'm the most unluckiest man in the world and then it's literally I just looked to the looked to my left I remember it clear as day and it was it was a kids hospital and there was like this five year old little girl with no hair with like a tube back coming out of nose going in with a smile on her face I thought oh, for God's sake horse grow up do you know what I mean do you know it's so easy to feel sorry for yourself there's always someone yeah. that's going through something a bit harder than you so it, for me it's my own personal motivation mm-hmm. you know it's what I use what I used at the time to change my mindset about stop feeling sorry for myself there there are always going to be things in your life that you cannot control mm. that's just a fact what you can control is your reaction to them and your mindset and your work ethic and your your ability to keep going afterwards that's all you can be in control of you know, and, and and hopefully how you are as a person. You know what I mean. And, and you know, I sort of you know try to be a decent bloke. You know, with it as well, because you know me banging on about my cancer to motivate people. Well, I I don't know what those people have been through in the room. I don't mm. know what their situation is. If someone asks me for advice or talks to me, perhaps maybe I can use it in a roundabout way and sort of reference it and talk about not it itself but maybe the strategies and the tools that I used to overcome it rather than just saying I had cancer I played in Sass rugby I'm sort of yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah go on. no it's more about like okay well when I was in this situation this is what I did this was my mindset this is the strategies I used and if someone takes something out of that you know brilliant were you in remission when you resumed the game or did you get the all clear and then stop well, playing? Well, it, it was not so. You, you go into remission and I was, I was back playing, so you go back playing and then you just literally, I was, you know, first of all, I was having sort of monthly checkups and scans and what have you, and then they went down to six months and then I can't remember after a period of time they just sort of said, you're good to go, but it's like anything now, you that know. That must have been absolutely terrifying. No, I didn't think about it. Really? No, what's the point? No, it's, what's, the, what's the point? What's the point of worrying about it? there's nothing I could do about it if it, you know I had it once I didn't expect to have it the fact that it came back I, well, you know what had I done you know I can't control that yeah. you, you, there's certain things in life you just cannot control 
And if you spend your whole time worrying about it, you'll forget what you're actually doing and miscontrolling the things you can control. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it could have come back, but then it didn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it, it's no point. Yeah, you know, I just, I, it's like it's, you know, I say to the players, like, you know, you need to focus on what you're doing because just 5% of your focus on something else will affect your performance it's like mm -hmm. you just got to be focused on what you can control what you're in control of and if it doesn't go well you focus on what you can do to get control back you know that's the way I look at it so you were at Bridge End yeah you were then at the Warriors actually yeah. that's a good point what, what were the Warriors like because you've got oh, like brilliant. one year and then brilliant. no more Warriors oh brilliant oh, it was a brilliant year of rugby I mean, when I look at the at the time, you know, when you look at the players we had in that group of squad, I remember it was it was hell of a squad. Well, I mean, it yeah, you know, players in the point was you know it was uh, Gethin Jenkins, uh, Mevin Davis who was a Welsh hooker, Matthew Reese, uh, Ryan Jones, Brent Cobain, Rob Sidoli, Daniel Jones, all at the time international. Kevin Morgan, yeah, was Kevin Morgan, uh, Sonny Parker, Gareth Thomas. It's quite, Kerry, a, Kerry quite an incredible squad, isn't Kerry it? Kerry Sweeney, Gareth Cooper, Neil Jenkins, well, uh, I, if I remember uh, David James. Levin Davis couldn't get a club. Uh, yeah, you're too yeah. small. So he went to Leicester, as you do. Or was it Gloucester? Or I think he went to both. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure what order. But the guy without a club then joins you in the Mike Reddit campaign yeah. and then wins a Grand Slam. It's, yeah. it's, it's just, the, the whole thing is just quite incredible actually uh, just that that group group of group of players it was a special special group of players you know and it's a shame what happened but you know that uh, ultimately as players it was it was out, it was out of our control and it, you know it was it's hard at the time you know we, you know you're such a close bond of players and to see you know players go through you know i think anyone in any walk of life when they're effectively made made redundant. It's, it's difficult when they got families, they got yeah, mortgages. But you know, there, there was a lot of support and what have you. And I think the majority of people ended up finding clubs. And sort of, I was in a situation where I had, you know, at the time, you know, I'd been doing really well for the Warriors and what have you. And I'd, I, you know, I was in a fortunate position where I had quite a few offers within the regions in Wales and clubs in the in the Premiership. Can and I um, can I pry and ask who your offers were? Do you know what? I can't. I can't. I honestly can't, can't remember. I just. I remember just having offers within within the, within the regions within within Wales and and, yeah. and Premiership clubs. But I think for me, it was. I wanted to go somewhere and test myself. Mm -hmm. I you know I wanted to go somewhere one where it was going to be a challenge. But another important thing for me was to keep my eligibility with, within Wales. And you know I was, I was very much looking to stay within the regions and uh, at the time I got a phone call from uh, Mike Burton who was sort of not really my agent really he was just mm. someone who advised me and he just said listen uh, Worcester are really keen you know do you fancy going and speaking to speaking to them and I was like alright then and I went and I walked in and I met Cecil and then I saw the, the stadium what they're developing and then I just went in and met John Brain who's which is you know sad that he's not with us so, you yeah. know and within five minutes of sitting down with that bloke, I went, yeah, I want to play for you. You know, he was just, for me, he was exactly what I needed as a coach and, and just as a man as well. And at that time, if I'm right, you were, you were commuting from, was it... Um, Porth Call. Yeah. Porth Call, Which yeah. Uh, isn't a small commute. Hour and 40 minutes. Good Lord. Hour and 45 minutes. Now, 
before we go, I've, I've got to ask you one last thing. I've been told, told to ask you this. Uh, did you have some sort of pre-match nerves and way to deal with your pre-match nerves involving a treadmill? A treadmill, well, RGC. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> oh, run. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Been on the treadmill until so like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible on, on, on match days, uh, just in terms of, not nervousness, because I always feel like we've prepared, but it just, just, that, just wanting to, Get, get into it so uh, and I always think is just to go and clear your mind would just be go and get on the treadmill and I would literally I, and you know I still do it down here in the hotel is just just get on it and I just find it's the one thing where probably because I'm absolutely knackered I can't I can't <laughs> think of anything else apart from my breathing it's just it's just you know half an hour on a treadmill or doing some intervals on the treadmill just getting into it, it just sort of clears my head and then I sort of do that just be a bit sweaty, sit in the office, get told off by everyone else for sweating all over their chairs, <laughs> and then probably uh, drink about two, or two, three bottles of Diet Coke, which is probably my biggest addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I was speaking to um, a few of the lads, and they said that the one lasting memory that, that they'll have is the quality of your pre-match speech. The most common conversation was, how will he top this next week? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's like anything, you know, when you're speaking to the players, you, you don't need to give them too much. Before I personally feel, before you have that sort of final sort of conversation, I, if you haven't given them a load, then I think you've you've been negligent in your planning. You're panicking, and I think if you're trying to give them too much, I think the players start to think, "Oh Christ, oh Christ, oh God. you know." Suddenly, you know, for me, it was always very much just two or three sort of key sort of technical and tactical points in terms of what we're doing and potentially what they're doing and just to sort of wrap that up in something you know some sort of emotional thing to tie it all in with you mm. know because rugby is an emotional game at the end of the day you know you you got to you know and I like I always would say I would keep it probably to two three messages max tactically and then just something that emotionally that they can use to achieve those goals mm. for those tactical goals so it, it would just be around there and it would never be more than three or four minutes but yeah they, they seem to go alright I think occasionally <laughs> well from your inspirational last words before uh, team run out to my last not so inspirational words thank you very much no problem uh, thank you for your time and if you're ever around Manchester again I would love to catch up no, no problem at all cheers thank you, thank you.